Thanks so much for joining for another episode of Run the List, a medical education podcast designed by Dr. Naveen Kumar, an attending gastroenterologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Emily Gutowski, a Harvard medical student planning on going into internal medicine, and Dr. Walker Red, myself, an internal medicine resident here at Brigham and Women's Hospital. As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be understood as medical advice under any circumstances. Hi, everyone. Before we begin today, I just wanted to let you know about our Run the List handouts. These are one-page summaries of everything we talk about on each one of our episodes, and you can use them to review for yourself or for teaching on the wards. They're made by our awesome team member, Moses Murdoch, and they can be found alongside each one of our episodes on our website, runthelistpodcast.com. Welcome back, listeners. We're here today with Dr. Blair, who you may remember from last week's hypothyroidism episode, and we also have one of our new members, Katie Kester, who is a third-year medical student at Harvard Medical School, and she's interested in pediatrics. She is going to be presenting the case today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and run the list. Okay, our patient today is a 24-year-old with acne and anxiety whose only medication is an oral contraceptive pill. And she presents to urgent care with about a month of feeling poorly. She's had increased bowel movements, increased anxiety, palpitations, and sweating. Her vital signs, her temperature is 99.2, her heart rate is 120, her blood pressure is 110 over 70, respiratory rate 14, and she's breathing 98% on room air. On further history, she tells you she's had weight loss of 18 pounds over the last four months. She feels hot all the time. And on exam, her thyroid is diffusely enlarged. She has a fine tremor, hyperreflexia, and warm, moist skin. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Katie. So I think just from this information, we're worried that this patient may have elevated thyroid hormone levels. Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about how you generally think about an elevation in thyroid hormone levels? Absolutely. First, just to touch briefly on definitions. Thyrotoxicosis is a broad term that refers to excess thyroid hormone from any source, which could, for example, include ingestion of thyroid hormone. In contrast, hyperthyroidism is a more narrow definition that falls under the umbrella of thyrotoxicosis, but it's when there's excess thyroid hormone that's produced by the thyroid tissue itself. And so for this patient, I'm definitely worried, as you mentioned, about thyrotoxicosis and most likely hyperthyroidism. Okay, thank you for that overview. I think that's a really good way to frame the case. What kinds of symptoms would you say a patient with hyperthyroidism would present with? In a simple way, I think of the thyroid as controlling metabolism. And so I think when there's too much thyroid hormone, everything can be on overdrive. So in this case in particular, the patient is having anxiety, increased bowel movements, palpitations, feeling hot and sweating, and unintentional weight loss. And so these are all things that are sort of the opposite of what you might see in hypothyroidism. Other possible symptoms could be emotional lability, insomnia, or irregular periods. Okay, so it sounds like a really wide range of presentations. And I know some of the physical exam signs can be just as broad, but when you're looking at a patient who you suspect of having hypothyroidism, what are the highest yield physical exam signs that you look for? 
Yeah. So I would say highest yield number one is examining the thyroid itself. And in some patients, depending on the body habitus, you may be able to even just watch them swallow and be able to see an enlarged thyroid moving up and down sort of under their Adam's apple. You're also, even though this is sometimes easier said than done, definitely going to examine the thyroid and palpate it. Again, you're going to be feeling for how large it is, also whether there's any nodules or tenderness to touch. In terms of other pieces of the physical exam, you do want to look for proptosis or lid lag in somebody that you're concerned for potential Graves disease, and that's when the eyes protrude more. Also, you'll be looking on your cardiovascular exam for tachycardia. And then in sort of your extremities, you'd be looking for fine tremor, You can see proximal muscle weakness or hyperreflexia. And in the skin, you might notice warm or moist skin. Okay, perfect. So just to continue with the overview before we delve deeper into this case, how do you think about the differential diagnosis for hyperthyroidism? So I would say that the most common causes of hyperthyroidism, where the thyroid itself is making too much hormone, are things called primary hyperthyroidism. And again, that's where the thyroid itself is going to be producing too much hormone. And by far, the most common one of those things is Graves' disease. And that's an autoimmune disease where antibodies bind to the TSH receptor and cause increased T3 and T4 hormones, which are active in the body. Some less common causes, but would still be considered primary, are when there are either one or multiple nodules in the thyroid that are making too much hormone. And then there's also something called thyroiditis, where, as it sounds like, there's inflammation of the thyroid gland and release of hormone that was already made. And so there's this temporary increase in hormone levels. And there's a lot of different kinds of that, but some of those can be painful. So those are all primary hyperthyroidism. Um, Sometimes exposure to iodine or either purposeful or accidental ingestion of thyroid hormone can cause elevated thyroid hormone. And then lastly, there are very rare cases of something called secondary hyperthyroidism. And that's where there's actually, for example, in the pituitary, TSH would be secreting autonomously. And so that would be causing elevated thyroid hormone levels. But those are quite rare cases. Interesting. I didn't realize how much more common primary hyperthyroidism was than secondary. In addition to those causes, I know that Hashimoto's, which we typically think of as causing hypothyroidism, can initially cause hyperthyroidism in its early stages. Another thing that can affect thyroid hormone levels is medications. One common medication that can affect thyroid hormone levels is amiodarone because it has a lot of iodine. In the United States, it more often causes hypothyroidism, but it can cause thyroiditis and thyrotoxicosis in some cases. Additionally, many patients take biotin over the counter. Biotin does not actually alter thyroid hormone levels. However, it does affect how TSH and free T4 are measured. And so it can make the TSH look falsely low and the free T4 look falsely high concerning for thyrotoxicosis. Therefore, one important thing to do if you have a patient with a low TSH and a high free T4 is to double check whether they take biotin. If the answer is yes, then I recommend that they hold the biotin for 48 hours and then repeat the testing. And oftentimes that will resolve the issue. 
So to help distinguish between the causes of hyperthyroidism, I imagine we would want to get some labs from this patient. So what are some of the initial labs you'd want to send and how do you interpret them in the context of hyperthyroidism? I agree. So first we would start out with a TSH, but in this patient, I would also order a free T4 and a total T3. And again, just thinking back to feedback loops, which is what we're always thinking about in endocrinology. If the thyroid is producing or releasing too much T3 and T4, the pituitary can sense that, and then it should turn down its signal to make more thyroid hormone. And so we would expect TSH, which is that signal, to be low, and we would expect free T4 and total T3 to be high. And in contrast to hypothyroidism, We don't usually care too much about T3, but in hyperthyroidism, we do often check it at least initially because every once in a while, hyperthyroidism can be caused by only a high T3 and the T4 can look normal. And so it's just a way to not get tricked at the beginning. Gotcha. Okay. Katie, can you bring us back to the case? Yes, of course. So her labs have come back. Her TSH is low at 0.01, with normal being 0.4 to 4.5. Her free T4 is high at 8, with normal being 0.9 to 1.7. And her total T3 is high at 560, with normal being 80 to 200. Okay, so just to recap, a low TSH and high free T4 and total T3. Rachel, what do you do with these numbers and what do you want to do next? Yeah, so this is confirming that her peripheral hormones are high and her TSH is appropriately turned down. So confirming that she is in a state of thyrotoxicosis. And at this point, we would want to be trying to figure out further why she's in this state. Katie had mentioned at the beginning that the patient was having palpitations and her heart rate was up into the 120s. And so in the process of figuring out what's going on with her, you can start treatment with a beta blocker, regardless of whether the patient is thyrotoxic from Graves or thyroiditis or another cause. And so the beta blocker can help with tachycardia, tremor, anxiety. And so we often use propranolol at a dose of 60 to 80 milligrams XR or a tenolol 25 to 50. So we can start treating the patient even before we know exactly what the cause of their hyperthyroidism is just to make sure that they're comfortable while we're working this out. Yep. What other testing might you consider at this point for this patient? So I would say that highest on my differential for this patient is definitely Graves' disease. Um, She's young, female, and she also was noted to have an enlarged thyroid on exam. And so for all those reasons, she sort of has the right demographics and the right physical exam findings. And so the best next step for that is obtaining thyroid receptor antibodies. Sometimes you'll see this written out as TRABs, and they can all be different depending on which hospital system you're in. But in our system, you can order something called a TSI, thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin, or TBII. And usually we just order both. So when people have Graves' disease, typically those labs are positive. Before there were good antibody tests, uh, patients used to get something called a radioactive iodine uptake test. 
And that's where a patient will actually take a small dose of a diagnostic radioactive iodine and then get what's called an uptake scan. And in Graves' disease, since the thyroid is pulling in iodine and making all this extra hormone, the uptake would be high. But typically, our first step in current times is just to send the antibody testing, which can take anywhere from a few days to a week to come back. I see. Okay. So in patients who you're suspecting might have Graves' disease, start with a TSI and TBII. And in patients who maybe you're not suspecting Graves' disease or other types of patients, what are some of the other tests that you can do to work up hyperthyroidism? So if the person has a painful thyroid that it seems more concerning for thyroiditis, then often we obtain an ESR, which is sort of a nonspecific inflammatory marker, but is often quite elevated in thyroiditis. And then we do get a radioiodine uptake scan. And for those patients, the scan actually has low uptake because the thyroid is not pulling in new iodine to make new hormone. It's just dumping out what it already has. And then another one would be if you actually felt a nodule on exam or perhaps obtained an ultrasound that showed some nodules, then again, you might be concerned that one of those nodules is overactive. And again, the radioiodine uptake scan is helpful because it could show if one area is taking up a lot of iodine. And finally, if you suspect that somebody is actually taking thyroid hormone, perhaps to try to lose weight or something along those lines, there is a way that you can actually look for that. And you can test a blood test of something called thyroglobulin. And that's something that normal thyroid cells secrete. And if somebody is taking exogenous thyroid hormone, then that thyroglobulin level will actually be low because the endogenous production is low. And so to sort of summarize all of that, often we order radioiodine uptake and scans, particularly if we're not quite sure what's going on with the patient, but also if we have concern for thyroiditis or nodules. Okay. And in thyroiditis, you expect to see low uptake because the thyroid's kind of dumping out thyroid hormone. Whereas if there's a nodule, like a toxic adenoma, you're expecting to see a discrete area of increased uptake. Exactly. Okay, perfect. That's so helpful. Katie, can you tell us what ended up happening with this patient? Yeah, so the patient has started on 60 milligrams of propanolol, and one week later, her TSI is positive, consistent with Graves' disease. Okay, so it sounds like our patient has Graves' disease. We talked a little bit before about treating some of her symptoms with a beta blocker, but Rachel, how do you think about more long-term treatment for Graves' disease? So often we start with antithyroid medications, and so the most common one that's used is something called methimazole, typically first line. There is another type of medication called PTU that is used in the first trimester of pregnancy. And oftentimes we'll start with these because somewhere in the range of 30 to 50% of patients after being treated for a year or a year and a half can remit on their own. And so we'll often start with those medications, which are just daily or twice daily pills that are titrated over time. The other options include treatment with radioiodine ablation, and that's where I sort of think of rather than a diagnostic scan with radioactive iodine, they're actually being treated, and it typically makes the thyroid underactive, and so folks typically end up having to actually take thyroid hormone replacement after the fact, but it's a little bit simpler just in terms of titrating medications 
levothyroxine is really safe long-term. And sometimes when people are thinking about getting pregnant in the future or something like that, it's easier to just kind of take this out of the equation, get the radioactive iodine ablation done, and then they're sort of set and ready to go. But it cannot be used when people are already pregnant or breastfeeding. And then lastly, we use this quite rarely, but in severe cases of Graves' disease, um, surgery can be done to remove the thyroid. Okay, great. I've heard about something called thyroid storm. Would you be able to just briefly take us through exactly what that is? Sure. So thyroid storm is a rare condition, and it's a very severe form of hyperthyroidism. And it often occurs after there is a outside trigger, such as surgery, trauma, infection, even pregnancy, um, or certain type of medications. And so it's a clinical diagnosis. It can include, again, thinking of the whole body being on overdrive, tachycardia, hyperthermia, GI symptoms, including nausea and vomiting, and altered mental status. And there's sort of a formal scoring system that you can look up called the Wartowski score if it's something you're worried about in a patient. One thing to note is that labs alone can't differentiate between thyroid storm versus just severe hyperthyroidism. It really hinges on a lot of those clinical presentations. But if someone appears to be in thyroid storm, then that would be one of the few endocrine emergencies where you would call the endocrine team immediately and have the patient admitted to an ICU for very careful monitoring and treatment. Wow. Okay. That's good to know. Katie, why don't you bring us back to the case? Yes. So thankfully, our patient doesn't suffer any of those complications. So to summarize, the patient is a 24-year-old presenting with increased bowel movements, anxiety, palpitations, weight loss, and heat intolerance, found to have low TSH, elevated free T4 and total T3, and positive TSI, confirming a diagnosis of Graves' disease. She was initially started on propanolol and then referred to endocrinology, where she was prescribed methimazole and felt much improved. After four weeks, she stopped propanolol. Methimazole was tapered over the next year to five milligrams daily, and she is due to follow up again in endocrinology clinic. Great. I'm glad our patient did well. So as we start to close out this episode, Dr. Blair, would you mind summarizing three major takeaways? Of course. So what I'd say is for patients where you're concerned about possible hyperthyroidism or thyrotoxicosis, the initial tests are a TSH as well as a free T4 and a total T3. Next, I would say the most common cause of hyperthyroidism is Graves' disease, an autoimmune condition where there's antibodies that bind to the TSH receptor. And so you can actually send TSH receptor antibodies in your early workup. And finally, this is going to vary a little bit depending on your practice setting, but Most patients may have initial workup and treatment by their primary care doctors or general medicine teams, but typically are referred to endocrinology for further workup and treatment. Those are such great pearls. Thank you for the summary there. I learned so much during this episode, and I hope our listeners did too. I just want to thank Dr. Blair and Katie for all their hard work on this episode. Thanks, guys, for joining us, and we hope you'll join us again soon to run the list. (laughs) 